And in that, he mentions five women, which in and of itself is a pretty interesting thing to do in a genealogy, but it's very interesting, the particular women that he included. He didn't go for the safe ones. He, he picked some pretty wild ones, in fact, ones that reminded us of some rather sordid events. And so what Matthew is writing, along with Luke and, and Mark and, and John, they're writing Gospels. They're not biographies. They're, they're accounts. They're selective accounts of the life and death and, and ministry and resurrection of Jesus. And they're writing those for the purpose that the readers would believe in Jesus, that the readers would see what has been presented before them and would place their faith in Christ. And so he includes what he includes purposefully, carefully. And the inclusion of these women is no less a careful, a purposeful inclusion. He's highlighting these sometimes R-rated situations as if to say, all right, as you consider Jesus, consider him, look at him through these lenses. Consider Jesus through the lens of Tamar and, of consequence, Judah. Consider him through the lens of Rahab, through Ruth, through Bathsheba, through her murdered husband, through her husband's murderer. Consider Jesus in this light. Matthew must have thought that by highlighting these women and, and their desperate situations, it would help the reader, it would help us to get a better handle on who Jesus is as Savior and why we need to be rescued in the first place. From what do we need to be saved? And so week by week we've unpacked, we've explored and two things have come up again and again by looking at these women in these situations. The first that we've seen is the sovereign hand of God working again and again, accomplishing his purposes, often despite human brokenness and sinfulness. He's still working. He's still accomplishing his plan. What we do doesn't get in the way of that. Second thing that we've seen again and again is God's heart for the desperate, for the down and out, for the vulnerable, for the helpless, for those who don't have a voice. God's heart has gone out to them time and time again. And in this process, we have seen God just defy convention right and left, bypass expectations. And so when it comes to the question of how would he make his entrance into the world. When he takes on flesh, when he becomes a man, how would he make his entrance? Well, enter one unwed teenage girl and a nobody carpenter from a podunk town. A town that never even gets mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, I know that Advent and Christmas are technically behind us. And my original plan was to try to cover Mary in the Christmas Eve service. But I realized I was going to really have to shortchange her to do that, and I just didn't want to. So I saved her for this morning. And so I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The very words of God. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the hearing and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, indeed, would you come again this morning like you always do? And would you be our helper? Holy Spirit, would you help us to discern, to understand, to wade through our doubts and through our questions? And then in the end to see Jesus as he's freely offered in the gospel. Would you grant to us the gift of faith that we might believe him unreservedly. That we might surrender ourselves to him completely. That you might be glorified. That he might be exalted. And that we might be the beneficiaries. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So we've seen along the way how these other women have helped us. How they've helped us to understand our Savior a little bit better. They've helped us to understand our need for being saved. Well, what about Mary? How will she benefit us? How will she be of help to us? I think, coming away from this week of spending time in this passage, that one of the biggest ways that Mary helps us is in showing us how to respond to Jesus. She's really the very first one who has to respond to who he is. And so there's no way that we'll even come close to mining the depths of everything that's here for us in this passage. I'm not even going to try to exhaust it. I just want to call your attention this morning to four things about the way Mary responds to the angel's message about Jesus that I think will be very, very helpful for us. The first is this. She responds honestly. So the angel comes to Mary with this message. He just poof, appears. (laughs) And look at verse 28, what he has to say. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary responds to this and she says, Oh, how wonderful. Thank you for coming. No, that's not what she says at all. If you look at verse 29, her response starts with a but. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
She doesn't say, oh, how wonderful this is. She says, now hold on a minute. What in the world is going on here? She was troubled. She was perplexed. She was agitated. Now, if all of this Jesus stuff were a fairy tale, if it were, if it were make-believe, if it were invented by his followers to try to con people, which is what some folks believe, is this the type of response you would have scripted for the mother of your Savior? But Scripture's like that, isn't it? Scripture's full of doubt and skepticism on the part of the followers of Jesus. See, if you were going to make something up, if you were going to try to con folks, I think you'd try to be a little bit more convincing and maybe not quite so quick to show how very often Jesus' followers are bewildered and blundering, doubting and failing. But see, what we have here is an honest account of Mary's honest response. She struggled to make sense of this thing. Her otherwise rational thought just had a head-on collision with an angel who just poof, appeared and has this greeting for her. She can't make sense of what's transpiring before her very eyes as if she's rubbing her eyes and saying, am I really seeing this? And what happens once the angel gives her a few more details? Hey, you're going to give birth to a son, the son of the Most High. Does she then switch into religious expectation mode and say, oh, this is a religious thing, I need to respond appropriately? No, she doesn't give the angel the answer that she thinks he might want to hear. She says, "Um, excuse me, um, how will this be? I, I may be a teenage girl, I may be from a hick town, but I know where babies come from. And I, um, well, I haven't. She's been confronted with a proposition that conflicts with her understanding of reality. And she doesn't just sweep that under the rug. She doesn't paper over it or pretend as if it isn't there. She's honest. And so I'm not sure where everybody is with Jesus who's here this morning. But if you're considering who he is, who who the Bible claims that he is, who he in his own words claims to be, then can I just urge you to be like Mary? Just be like Mary. Don't try to muster up the religious response. Don't try to come up with the response you think others might want you to have. If you got questions, ask them. If you got doubts, Voice them. It was okay for Mary, the mother of Jesus, to do that. I'm pretty sure it will be okay for you, too. Second thing that I want you to see from Mary's response, and this one will take a little bit of explaining, because the way that I, best way that I could word up word it, still is a little odd. Mary responded from favor, and not for favor. Right? Her response comes out of her being favored 
her response does not get her favor. So look again at, at verse 28 and then also verse 30. Verse 28, and he, and he came to her, the angel did, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then down in verse 30, the angel again says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, a lot of folks see these mentions of favor in these verses, and they very quickly overlook the healthy amount of doubt and skepticism that's involved here, and they say, oh, there is something special about Mary here, right? This is why the Lord chose her to be the mother of Jesus. Look how pious she must be, how holy she is, what a good girl she's been. But I don't think that's what's going on here at all. When the angel says she's a favored one, I think it has much less to do about her character and what she's done and much more to do with God's character and what God has done. So let me help us try and understand understand this. Think about the word favor, even how we use it. Two different times this week I had to reach out to folks. I needed some help. And so I reached out and I said, hey, can you do me a favor, right? So what does that mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, hey, you owe me time to pay up. That's not it. Nor is it, hey, you're obligated to help me. I deserve your help and I require you to help me. No, a a favor is something you don't have any claim to. You don't deserve it. You're asking for help that the other person doesn't have to give you. And so for the angel to tell Mary she's a favored one is to call attention to the fact that she's been given help that she doesn't deserve. Right? She's been a recipient of God's grace and mercy. That's what he's saying. And here's the big way that I think God has been gracious and merciful to Mary. It's not in choosing her to be the mother of Jesus, though that is a huge honor. Right? No doubt that is <laughs> honor par excellence. No, he's been gracious to her in giving her the faith she needed to believe this preposterous announcement and proposed chain of events that's about to take place. So this is our third point. Mary responds in faith. But she does so because in his grace and mercy, God grants that faith to Mary as a gift. She had to be given the faith to believe what otherwise would have been impossible to believe. Right? Look look at her final response. Look at the end of the passage, verse 38 quite a turnaround from where we started. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now see, that would have been a much better way for her to start out. If we were going to write this thing for ourselves, that would have been much better. Angel appears, poof, favored one, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I'm your servant. Be, Be it to me. Right? If I were writing this and trying to convince people, that's what I would have started with, not this perplexed, doubting skepticism stuff. 
But in the end, she gets it. She believes. She has faith. God had given it to her as a gift. And actually, I think it affected, I think we can see hints of it, even in the way she doubted. Even in the way she questioned. She absolutely responded with honesty. She made her doubts known. But there's a difference. See, there's doubt that has as its root unbelief. But then there's doubt that has the seeds of faith deep down. Think about her question in verse 34. Right? So she asks a question. She says, uh, how will this be? How? How will this be? She doesn't understand it. It contradicts her understanding of reality. Now, that's very different from doubting and saying, ah, this can never be. You see the difference between the two? Between the question of, how can this be? Almost as if wanting it to be true, but not sure how it can be, versus, ah, that's impossible. That can never happen. See, one's a, a, a statement of fact, a decision that's already been made. But even for Mary to ask the question in the way that she does, she hasn't connected all the dots yet. She, she doesn't understand. But I think there's the seeds of faith even in, in how she's doubting and how she's questioning. This faith to believe has to be a gift from God. She would have never mustered it up for herself. She would have never connected the dots on her own. On her own. She would have never gotten past her own thinking, her own human thinking and reasoning, which is her default. It's all of our default. She had to have help to understand this divine perspective, this divine way of understanding how all this was going to go down. Had to be a gift from God because the angel was telling her something that was absolutely impossible to believe from a human standpoint. Think about what the angel is saying about the baby to be born. Look at verse 32 and 33. This is what the angel is saying about Jesus. He will be great He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The throne? Is this some kind of sick joke? There hasn't been a king on that throne in hundreds of years. In fact, the kingdom has been split and a horrible mess for almost a thousand years. The kingdom only ever knew two kings, David and Solomon, before it split. And everything went downhill fast. So from a human standpoint, what the angel is suggesting defies logic, defies human reasoning. And so this is part of what she's wrestling with and, and dealing with, and, but ultimately coming up with faith and belief despite the impossibility by way of this gift of grace. Not that there was something favorable in her, nothing she could claim that caused her to be favored But with the favor she has received, she believes what would have otherwise been impossible to leave. Fourthly and finally, Mary responded with complete 
surrender. And you see this so clearly there in, in 38, there at the end. I, I, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Let it be to me. What, whatever you desire, whatever, whatever your word says, whatever you say. And what a beautiful example that is for us and, and a challenging example for us when our response to Jesus very often has an asterisk after it. I will follow you, Jesus, unless it gets uncomfortable. I will follow you, Jesus, until something else captures my attention. I will follow you, Jesus, until the weather warms up and then the weekends begin to fill up. Or I'll follow you, Jesus, once things at work settle down. Or once I get married and have kids, then we'll get back serious about you, Jesus. But see, none of that with Mary. None of that with Mary. No asterisks, no ifs, no buts. Just simply, whatever. I'm here. Whatever. Whatever you say. And that's no small thing for Mary to say. Think about the predicament she's in now. Unwed teenage pregnancy. Think about the shame, the humiliation, being ostracized, not allowed perhaps even to worship, perhaps even fearful for her own life. Deuteronomy 22's specifically mentions her situation. If you're betrothed to a man, but you find yourself to be pregnant, stoning was prescribed. Despite all of that, complete, unqualified surrender. Would that Mary would be all of our example and model uh, you know, on all of these levels, to honestly wade through the doubt and the questions. To respond with the favor given to us, to, to respond with the faith that Jesus grants as a gift, to believe and to surrender completely. To follow Him, to say whatever, to, to follow wherever He leads and whatever that might cost us. Might we be like Mary? It's our prayer this morning. Oh, Father, would you help us? We thank you for Mary and, and her example and how it, it, it seems pretty obvious she needed your help to respond in the way that she did, much like we will have to have your help if we're to respond that way. If we're to respond in faith, if we are to wade through doubts and questions honestly and to come out on the other side believing in Christ, it will be because you came and you favored us. If you grant to us the ability to completely surrender ourselves, no matter the cost, no matter the outcome, it will be because you visited us and you have favored us 
with grace and mercy. And so we ask that you do that even in these moments now. Would you come? Would you do your work? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?